You know, when, when Jesus spoke to the disciples, they, uh, they asked him at one point about the temple and the things that were to come. And when Jesus spoke to the disciples of the time of the end, he revealed to them uh, a progression of wars, rumors of wars, tribulation, betrayal, hatred. He said in Matthew 24, 12, that because of lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. And he seems to be speaking specifically about the events of the tribulation that's to come with lawlessness uh, is going to increase to a level that will be seen like no other time in human history. But with the increase of lawlessness comes a corresponding desolation of goodwill among men. Uh, this is the pattern that we see in human relationships, isn't it? When things get hard, our love grows cold toward one another. When things are going well and nations and neighbors live in peace with one another, even, even the world speaks of love and harmony, don't they? The world knows it's a good thing. And so they speak of, uh, of loving one another. But when a little chaos enters into the arena and trials, the trials of life show themselves, people begin to turn on one another. Personal relationships take a back seat. Those who once sang, all we need is love, and I'd like to teach the world to sing, become the champions of cancel culture and hateful words. Second uh, Timothy speaks of the age we, we live in today and also warns that people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and holy. He continues on. You, you see, when, when times of difficulty come, people turn inward. And they start to find that, <laughs> I didn't know that. That is awesome. You see, when people start looking at their own hearts and they follow their own hearts, they find that actually the path, that path leads to destruction. The trials of this last few years, uh, we've watched it. We saw the pandemic. We saw what happened throughout the world. We saw the crazy politics. We saw the the difficulties that came, and the trials of these last few years, and the world's response to them, I, I believe are just a foretaste of what Jesus meant when he spoke of the love of many growing cold. But it's not so among you, is it? It's not to be that way among us. We are called to be different from that. And in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trials, Jesus calls us to be light in a dark world. You who have the Holy Spirit of God residing in you have not been given a spirit of fear, but he's, been given, he's given to us a spirit of grace, a spirit of gentleness. He tells us of the spirit of truth and wisdom. You see, we live in a world filled with tribulation, but, but we have our hearts fixed on the hope of our Savior's return. And this is why Jesus also said that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so in spite of what we see happening in the world and the, dark, the, the coldness of men's hearts, we, we know that God has called us to something greater than this. Christians are to live and walk differently than the world that we live in. I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Philemon. And in Philemon, we are going to discover a very personal letter from the Apostle Paul to a friend of his, whom, of whom he had an enormous, excuse me, a personal friend of his whom he had an enormous request. The book of Philemon is the third shortest book of the Bible. 
Uh, if you're looking for it, start in the back of your Bible. You'll see Revelation. Keep going. When you um, make it to Hebrews, uh, you're almost there. Philemon probably is not going to take up more than one or maybe two pages of your Bible. Uh, and it's immediately before Hebrews. It's only 335 words. The, the, that's shorter than most high school essays. But Philemon is a brilliant masterpiece that puts human relationships on display. It talks about reconciliation and the grace that's lived out between one human being and another human being. This short letter is a work of, of art written by Paul that allows us, the readers, to, to see the apostle engaged in a, a potentially explosive request. What he is about to ask Philemon is a big ask. And this letter is a demonstration of the Christian love that God has called us to in the midst of a world that's filled with tribulation and hate and darkness. It's a letter that demonstrates Christian love and grace. It's a Christian letter uh, that demonstrates tact, humility, and a faith that is played out on the field uh, of human relationships. We're going to be in Philemon for, for three weeks. I know some of you are thinking that this may be the shortest series that Pastor Jeff has ever preached. Others of you might be wondering how we might be, be able to take one chapter of the Bible and stretch that over that small book over three whole weeks. And by God's grace, we're going to do both. Um, here's today's plan. Uh, today, we're going to, number one, uh, fill in the context of this letter by examining the first three verses of Philemon, where we're going to be introduced to all but one of the main players. Uh, we're also going to discover a bit about the circumstances that led Paul to write this short letter. Uh, number two, we're going to examine the first major section of the epistle in verses four through seven, where Paul includes his customary thanksgiving, but he's accomplishing so much more than that. And then number three, uh, like we did with Hebrews some time ago, uh, I'd like us to devote some time in this service to reading aloud uh, the entire book of Philemon, which is slightly easier to do than Hebrews, uh, since Paul does the favor of being much more concise. As your husband would say, Pat, clear, concise, and cogent, right? We uh, learn a lot about people. Um, you know what, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we, uh, we come before you and we, we thank you for this book. We thank you for the, the writings of the scriptures. We thank you that we have books like Exodus and uh, Joshua that, that narrate the story of people's lives, the gospels that show us the ministry and the life of our Savior Jesus. We thank you that we have beautiful poetry like the Psalms, and we thank you that we have uh, epistles that are filled with doctrine and teaching like Romans and Hebrews. But Father, we thank you that we also have books like Philemon, which give us just a small glimpse into two men's lives and the impact that they are making in their world in their day. A glimpse at a relationship, a glimpse at how people did relationships as they were led by your spirit. What an example to us. Uh, and so as we unpack this, this book of Philemon, this small letter, uh, Father, I, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would illuminate our, our minds and help us to understand what we see here. Not just to understand it, but to live it out, to know it, and to emulate this kind of relationship that is filled um, by the grace of your Holy Spirit. So please be with us today as we study. Teach us. Mold us into the image of Jesus, as always we pray. Amen. We learn 
a lot about people by the way that they describe themselves, don't we? We learn a lot about people by the way that they describe others. Uh, This next season of politics has already begun, and you can tell a lot by a candidate by the way that they describe themselves and one another. In sports, uh, there are many names which tell you much about their physique and their character. Uh, Many of you probably don't remember William Anthony Perry, but most of you, most of us knew the defensive tackle as the refrigerator, or just for short, the fridge. Tells you a lot about who he was, doesn't it? What he looked like, what kind of defensive tackle this man was. William Roger Clemens is a familiar name in baseball, but once you know that the Red Sox pitcher was more commonly referred to as the Rocket, you can probably guess a few things about his abilities. Air Jordan was a nickname given to the man after it was given to the shoe, but today the name says all you need to know about both the sneakers and the guard for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, There's a lot in how people describe one another, and it tells you about the individual, and Paul does that for us here. And this, this is certainly the case with Philemon. He, he not only throws in the customary salutation in verses f- 1 through 3, but he also uses this opening of his letter to introduce us to eight parties and briefly describes each one of them. That tells us much about who these people were. Let's start with Paul himself. Uh, Paul simply calls himself by his name, and, and then the, he, he introduces the phrase, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It's an unusual opening line for Paul, who often just calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. Most of his letters, he starts out and he introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. In fact, some of his letters, he has to defend his apostleship, and so that's very important that he uses that title of himself. On three occasions, he actually uses, in in his letters, he calls himself a servant of of Christ Jesus, a a slave, a doulos. But, But here, he uses the word prisoner. It's likely that that tells us a lot about where Paul's writing this letter from and the circumstances that he's in. Um, likely he, he wrote this letter soon after the events of Acts uh, completed. So if you remember, we went through the book of Acts and you've been reading through Acts. At the very end of that book, uh, Paul is under house arrest and he's living in Rome, changed to a guard. And, and those are probably the circumstances in which Philemon and Colossians and Ephesians were all written at the same time. In fact, they were probably all three letters carried Uh, back to Asia Minor uh, by one or two people. There's a possibility that he may have been in Ephesus. There's a lot of commentaries that that make an argument for Paul being in Ephesus at a time that we're not aware of. Um, And it was an imprisonment that's not recorded. But either way, his circumstances are fitting for the title that he gives himself, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, on behalf of Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel that he preached. But I believe that his opening words, that they're also very carefully chosen because of the content of what is to follow. Uh, you, you see, Philemon is a personal letter from Paul to a Christian leader in the church of Colossae on, on behalf of one of that man's slaves. From what we can gather, this slave had either run away from Philemon or he was given a task that he failed in greatly and he he was afraid to go back to his master and so he put himself in a horrible situation by being uh, absent without leave, if you will. Uh, Most commentaries believe that he probably did run away and they they also believe that he probably stole something of great value from Philemon, um, possibly some some money or some goods from the house. But, But whatever the case, at least in some way, 
this slave was indebted to his master. At some point, this slave either came to Paul for help, um, or as some believe, he, by the providence of God, what would appear as, as blind luck and chance, but we know better, um, that he encountered Paul along the road. Maybe he knew where Paul was and he went to him on purpose, or, or maybe, maybe the, the Holy Spirit uh, directed their paths together. Um, but either way, he, he became a Christian. He encounters Paul, he hears the gospel, and he responds to it. He puts his faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for his sins, and, and the Holy Spirit comes into this man's life and, and transforms him by God's marvelous grace. He becomes a Christian, his life is transformed, and, and that brings us to the purpose of this small letter. Paul is writing this letter on behalf of this slave, and his, his name is Onesimus, which means useful, and, and he sends him back to his master. And Paul is going to make a big ask. Not only is he going to make an enormous request, but the apostle himself is also going to put himself on the line for this slave. And so Paul's description of himself is quite intentional. He probably chose not to use the title apostle because he wanted Philemon's decisions that he's going to make not to be compelled by Paul throwing his authority around, but by Philemon choosing what is right in doing the good thing. And he probably chose not to use the title servant, which is the same Greek word as slave, so that he doesn't come across as indifferent about the situation that Philemon or Onesimus find themselves in. But the title prisoner, it not only fits Paul's circumstances, but it also puts himself on the level uh, that, that would have been on similar footing with a Roman slave. And so Paul, Paul's simple choice of words are really filled with, with grace and humility. Secondly, he names Timothy and simply calls him brother. Uh, Timothy probably served as Paul's scribe, his amanuensis, if you want to get technical. Uh, he probably penned these words on parchment for Paul at Paul's dictation. Uh, but we know of Timothy as Paul's partner in ministry. He was there with him many times on many of his travels. Uh, these are the, the human writers of this small book. But then we're quickly introduced to the recipients as well, and there's four of them. First, Paul mentions Philemon himself, and, and he uses two words for Philemon to describe this leader who was associated with the church of Colossae. First, he calls him our beloved, and then our fellow worker. Um, the word beloved is familiar to us. It's, um, it's a term that marks a, a close relationship with somebody, a friendship, a, a deep relationship. Uh, significantly, God the Father describes his son with that word, doesn't he? A couple times he speaks from heaven, and, and every time that, that the New Testament writers refer to those events in which God spoke from heaven and, and the heaven was opened, every single time they note specifically that, that God calls him my beloved son. And it's the same word that, that Paul uses here of Philemon, his friend. Paul frequently used the term himself uh, of, of those who are his dear friends. And he also uses the word fellow worker oftentimes to, to note those who frequently uh, were his partners in ministry. And so two of the, the, the most kind and gracious titles that he uses throughout his epistles, he uses here for Philemon. Uh, in fact, that same word fellow worker is going to be used over in Colossians chapter 4, verse 11, regarding those who are doing the work of God's kingdom with him. And, and again, Colossians and Philemon were probably sent together at the same time um, with Epaphras and Onesimus. 
So what that tells us is that Paul thought highly of Philemon. Many letters have been written throughout history in which people use a lot of flattery, though, don't they? They, they say nice things to somebody in order to get the response that they want. They use fa- flattery and false praise to butter someone up. But, but we need to be careful because it, it's, it's tempting as you're reading through this to start questioning Paul's motives. And, and I don't think that that's what's going on here. In fact, I know that's not what's going on here because the Holy Spirit inspired this book and it's truthful. And, and so as Paul is writing this, it's important for us to remember that um, we need to be careful not to presume that, that Paul is using flattery just to get his way. He, he demonstrates tact, okay, we, we can say that. He, he demonstrates graciousness before he, he moves into the next phase of his letter where he's going to ask a huge favor, but that is altogether different than trying to, to sweet-talk Philemon and, and tell him things that aren't true. The, the primary recipient of this letter was Paul's friend and his partner in ministry. We'll come back to that. Next, he mentions uh, Apphia, and he calls her sister. Uh, this is the only time that she is mentioned, or anybody by the name is mentioned in the Bible, but she was probably Philemon's wife. Uh, it's noteworthy that Paul liked Jesus. Uh, I, I think it's important for us to notice here. Paul takes notice, and, and Jesus takes notice of the women uh, that were in their lives and, and the women that were in the church family. And, and it's also important to notice that in an age where women were considered property, Women's lives actually could be taken by their husbands, and the husband would face no guilt because she was just a piece of property, and she obviously wronged him in some way. That's the world that they lived in. But in the midst of that, Paul and, and, and Jesus and the apostles, they, they, they graciously uh, continue to, to point out these women that, that were co-heirs in, in the church family. They were sisters. They elevated them to a place of respect and to a place where they were equal co-heirs in the kingdom of God. And so Paul does that here as well, and he calls her sister. He also mentions Archippus and calls him a fellow soldier. Uh, it's the same word that Paul used for Epaphras in Philippians. In, in Greek literature, uh, that's an important word that's used there. It, it was a title of honor, and a commander-in-chief used it in one instance in some Greek literature. A king actually used it, in, in which they... They gave a title of honor to a common soldier or a soldier of lesser rank, and, and they, they elevated them uh, and, and as an honorable term to it as if they were on equal footing with the king himself or the commander-in-chief. And, and Paul capitalizes on that word, and he, he, he speaks of other pastors like Archippus and Epaphras. Um, and so Archippus may have been Philemon's son, but he was also likely uh, a pastor or an elder in the Colossian church. Uh, and we also find him mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. And then finally, Paul mentions the church in your house. In, in the first century, uh, these congregations met a little bit differently than we do. We, we have a building that we meet in. God has graciously provided that to us. Uh, he's graciously provided in, in a variety of different ways, um, financially as well as for our spiritual needs. Um, in the first century, these congregations of believers, they, they didn't have temples or cathedrals to meet in. There were no auditoriums. Christians typically met in the larger homes of the, the more wealthy members of their congregation. There they would gather in groups of 10 to 20 people. Uh, they usually would celebrate a common meal together uh, that was associated with communion and, and the Lord's Supper and in commemoration of the Last Supper with the disciples. 
And in all of those house churches that would meet all over a city, in, in Rome there were probably dozens of house churches spread out through the city. In Colossae there was probably two or three of them. These small house churches would collectively be made, make up the church of Colossae or the church of Ephesus, similar to our small groups in, in, in a way, kind of. In this case, they met in the home of Philemon and probably Apphia. And in this, this letter, it's a personal letter, I want us to note. Uh, it was written to Philemon, and, and he would have understood that by including the others in this greeting, he was to share, he was to share Paul's greeting. He, he didn't necessarily have to read this letter to the whole church. Uh, however, the very fact that this small personal correspondence has ended up as the 57th book of the Bible uh, probably tells us and indicates to us that, that the contents were taken to heart, and he likely did have it read in front of the whole church publicly became a beloved book of the Bible um, for reasons that we'll talk about later on next week. Uh, these, were, these were Paul's partners in faith. He mentions a few of them. Uh, but there's two other names, person, named, named persons that the Apostle Paul mentions here in this first salutation of his letter. Uh, the first is God, whom he calls our Father, and the second is Jesus, whom he gives the common phrase and title, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've given a, a more extended treatment of Paul's common greeting uh, before, and so I'll just, I'll just highlight it here. But uh, when he says grace and peace to you, there, there was a common greeting that you would find in letters. Um, the, uh, the Hebrew word that Jews would greet one another with, and, and still today, do you know what it is? They come to one another in Israel, and when you hug someone, say hello, you shake hands, first thing you say is shalom. It, it means peace. And that was the common way that people would greet one another in, in letters and epistles uh, if you were writing uh, in, in Israel in Jesus and Paul's day. Shalom. And the Greeks commonly greeted one another with the word Cairo, which means rejoice, be glad. But Paul, Paul uses a different word than Cairo. And perhaps even the whole early church did this. It might not have just been Paul's practice. But um, Paul, he alters that greeting to, um, to the similarly sounding word charis. Not Cairo, but charis, which means grace, favor. All that we have, all that we are, we owe to God's grace, which he has lavished upon us. It, it is such an important feature of the Christian life because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, because of God's grace that he has poured out on us, that, that Paul always takes people there immediately in his letters. So Paul takes both of those greetings, the Hebrew greeting and, and a, a form of the Greek greeting that he's altered for purposes of, of their, their faith in Christ, and he puts them together in his letters, and he says grace and peace. Now before we move to verses 4 through 7, though, uh, there's, there's a rhinoceros in the room that we need to address. Um, We'll be coming back to this issue in the next couple weeks because the book of Philemon deals with it. But Philemon raises this question uh, about the issue of slavery. It might be something that you've, you've crossed, it's crossed your mind. It certainly has crossed the mind of others, and many have rejected this book because of these issues of slavery. And unfortunately, Philemon ha has often been misused and abused, distorted um, to be a, a justification for slavery. But what we're going to see as we go through Paul's appeal to Philemon is that this book actually calls believers 
in Jesus Christ to transformed living and transformed relationships. Christianity transformed the hearts of of individuals who were slaves like Onesimus. And, And Christianity transformed the hearts of individuals who were masters like Philemon. And it takes both people, people in all different statuses of their culture, like it does in ours, and it calls them to a, a new relationship with one another, an eternal relationship where there is no slave or free, male or female. It's not to say that those distinctions still don't exist, but, but in eternity, those distinctions aren't important anymore. Christianity didn't attempt a, a revolution of the culture that was around it. It, it didn't attempt to, to change everything right away, and it, instead it focused on the things that were of eternal value and, and preached the gospel. Uh, but it did bring sweeping changes to the lives of, of the people who lived in the context of that culture. It revolutionized those people's lives. And then the claims of Christianity, which were revolutionary for those people, for in Christ the church taught that no matter what your station in life, no matter what your role in society, you are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are equal co-heirs. And that changed everything in how a person would see the people around them. The transformation began with the hearts of individuals, and then those individuals went out into the world. And they changed the world, just like Jesus commanded them to do. They spread the gospel. And as the gospel went out, it started to bring transformation to cultures. Not immediately, not a revolt, not a war, but, but one in which cultures were changed, peoples were changed, and governments were changed. People went out as lights that brought progressive change and good to their culture. I I appreciate how F.F. Bruce states it very simply. He goes, he writes, what this letter does is to bring us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. And so the book of Philemon, I want you to understand, was not a justification of human ownership of another human life, but, but actually does quite the opposite eventually. Part, part of the whole appeal here is that Onesimus would now be Philemon's brother in the Lord. No matter what his status would be afterwards, Onesimus would hold, uh, whether he was a slave or free, the basis of their relationship was grounded on their eternal relationship to one, to one another as brothers in Christ, as co-heirs who belonged to the same Lord. And so we'll come back to this uh, as we... Um, as Paul's letter unfolds, but I felt that it was appropriate that we we at least address it this morning as we look at Paul's greeting. Because you see, Paul is going to make a huge request of Philemon in this letter. And this letter shows us, and I want us to understand as we go through this, that even though the the personal relationship and and the requests are here on the surface, I think something else is happening in in Paul's purpose uh, and, and Paul's intention behind this letter and what God does through it. This letter shows us It shows you and me the art of navigating human relationships. Do you have people in your life that are hard to get along with? You ever have to ask somebody something difficult that you just don't want to address? Um, You ever wonder, how how am I going to have this conversation? I, I think a lot of what Philemon shows us is how Paul navigated that in a very real way with his friend. And perhaps you have confrontations in your life that need to happen. Perhaps there's an issue of sin 
that needs to be addressed. Maybe you're in a position like Paul where you have to make a request that you, that you need to make to someone or an appeal to, for someone to do what is right. In his opening salutation, Paul, Paul first he demonstrates how Christians are, are partners in faith. It changes the way we look at one another. And so the way that you interact with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, um, that, that changes how you approach them. If there's somebody that's beneath you, you're going to respond to them in one way. If there's somebody that is your equal, your co-heir, that, that changes how you approach things. And Paul does it with grace. He does it with humility. And this reality, it should change the way that we perceive one another and the way that we treat one another. Your relationships in the faith should lead you to humility and grace as you yourself learn the art of loving people. I also want you to notice in verses 5 through 7, as we turn there, notice how Paul thanks, how he thanks God for Philemon. I, I'm, I'm just going to state up front what an incredible display of grace and tact that Paul shows in these verses. In, in most of his letters, Paul moves on from the salutation. Uh, like most letters do, he moves to a, a section on thanksgiving. It's usually is written as a prayer. And he does the same thing here, but, but the purpose for which he does this is always very specific. And his prayer is, is always pertinent to the topic of the epistle, to the subjects of the epistle. His words aren't careless, and he's not just throwing this in as a, just a, a haphazard prayer. Yeah, God, thanks, appreciate it. Okay, now let's get to the real part of the letter. He means it. It's intentional, it's purposeful, and, and it deals with the contents of what's to follow. And again, don't make the mistake of thinking that this prayer uh, is some sort of flattery or adulation. Paul, Paul is about to make this request to Philemon and to encourage Philemon to make some decisions that quite honestly are counter to the culture that they lived in. Most likely, Philemon probably had the right to take Onesimus' life because Onesimus had run away or he hadn't come back when he was supposed to. There's a story, uh, an instance that we have documented of how masters treated slaves. Uh, and there's a story from this culture at this same time in which a slave ran away from his owner. And, and so the owner decided, I'm going to make an example so this doesn't happen again. And so he slaughtered all 400 of his slaves, guilty and unguilty. And he went unpunished because that was his right. That was, in his culture, something that he could do. They were his property. And so that's, that's the circumstances they lived in, and Philemon had that right, not to say that he intended to take it, but, but what Paul's going to do is countercultural to the way that everybody thought in that day regarding masters and slaves. And so uh, as before he makes this request, um, Paul begins with, with genuine praise for his friend. And again, I want you to know this, this is genuine praise. He, he really believed these things about Philemon. He, he directs the glory to where it belongs, to God himself. But, but this prayer is a very tactful, and it, and it served to soften the tone of the letter, as well as to give God praise. And I believe that Paul understood. He understood people. He understood the way people think. And we can take a lesson or two from the grace in which Paul approaches his friend. Watch the genuine thanksgiving that Paul makes for his friend in verses 5 through 7. Excuse me, verses 4 through 7. He says, I, I thank my God always when I refer to you in my prayers because I hear of your love 
and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Uh, the, the first part of a genuine response toward other people, it, it starts with praying for one another. And, and, and genuinely praying for one another. We have a habit in our culture of, of telling people, oh, I'll, be, I'll pray for you. And we walk away from that conversation and, and, and when do we pray for them? So often. I'll pray for you. And, and 10 seconds later, we forgot about the request and we never come before the throne of our God. Uh, the current trend we live in is thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, what a hard time you're going through. Thoughts and prayers. They have no God that they're going to pray to, but they say thoughts and prayers because I'm going to think of you and prayers are something that, you know, it just shows sympathy. It means nothing to me. But my friends, as Christians, we're called to more than that, aren't we? Genuine prayers on behalf of the saints. Don't say it if you don't intend to really pray for them. How often have we promised to pray and then walked away and forgot about it completely? Be sure to follow through. Better yet, pray with your friend right there. Just say, hey, can we pray? The throne of God is open, and God has called us to pray for one another, and at any time, we can come before our God with one another and pray for each other. And so before you seek the opportunity to address the actions and the decisions of other people, and to tell them the things that they need to do and the decisions they need to make in their life, we, we need to be people who are genuinely praying for one another. If you're going to go talk to somebody and you have a difficult request, a confrontation that needs to take place, take the time to genuinely pray for that person. Take the time to genuinely find reason to thank God for that person. Sometimes when, when you find that thanksgiving, guess what happens? You find that your complaint against the person really wasn't that valid at all. And as you pray for the person and thank God for the person, God changes your perspective and you start to see the person for who they are. And so rather than open your mouth when you shouldn't, you, you end up being slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, and your prayers change you and your response. We also need to be people who genuinely look for the good that God is accomplishing in one another's lives. In, in verse 5, Paul expresses the reason for his thanksgiving. He says, you know, Philemon, I, I'm thankful and I thank God because Philemon was truly a beloved friend. He doesn't just call him a beloved friend just, you know, to get his way. He, he was a beloved friend. He was truly a fellow worker in the ministry of the gospel. Ph Philemon was truly an individual who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this had an impact on how he treated other people. Paul, Paul switches the words in the order here. Uh, when he says, you're, I thank God for the, your love and your faith, I think the word faith there in this context, because he applies that not only to Jesus Christ, but also to people, I think he's speaking of Philemon's faithfulness, because he mentions Paul's uh, he says um, to him, your, because I hear of your love and faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and the saints, and, and the word order is a little funky there, and, and I think what he's doing is he's saying you have this love for Jesus and your faithfulness to your Lord Jesus Christ, and that faithfulness and that love that you have toward him is echoed in your relationships with other people, and you have that same kind of love and that same kind of faithfulness towards the saints that are around you. 
from this little glimpse that we get of Philemon's life, uh, we find that this was a generous individual who shared his home and who shared his faith and lived it out, and people saw that. Paul heard of this love and his faithfulness, and so he genuinely thanks God for these things. And furthermore, it, it was this pattern of love and faith which Paul is going to build on when he goes on to make his appeal for Onesimus. Perhaps part of the reason he felt that he could ask this of, of, of Philemon and, and to mention this in the whole letter is because he knew Philemon's character and he knew that what was going to come next was something that wouldn't fall on deaf ears. And, and so he knew that this was the person he could come to with this kind of request. In verse 6, Paul continues his prayer. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I spent more time on this verse than probably the rest of the whole passage combined this last couple weeks. It's a very challenging verse to translate from the original language. And uh, I, I still don't know if I completely understand what Paul's doing here because there's a lot of things happening exegetically. Um, many of the words that Paul uses have different concepts that are associated with them. Um, and you, you'll find if you read the ESV, the NIV, CEV, uh, all of them, they take a different approach. You can, so you can see the translators, they, they, I think they get the sense of this verse, but, but there's some challenges for translating and for understanding it. But let, let's take our shot at it, okay? Here's how the ESV approaches it. But by the way, do you remember what, do you know what Peter said about Paul? I, I find so much comfort in this. If you're reading through Paul's letters sometimes, and you go, I don't get this. All right? Uh, and I'm just sitting here as your pastor going, this is, this is challenging, and I don't think I completely have what Paul's doing here. Uh, remember that Peter, one of the apostles, said sometimes Paul is hard to understand, but listen to him. So uh, take comfort in that, that sometimes the Scripture has some challenges, but that's okay. Here's how the ESV approaches it. He says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Y'all got that? <laughs> There's a lot happening there. And how do all those concepts relate to one another? I think it's a good translation, but, but the translation definitely requires the student of God's word to dig, which makes it a good translation because the translators aren't trying to interpret it for you. They're giving you the wording, and then they're letting you dig into what's, what Paul does there. So sometimes we have to dig beyond that initial English translation. Uh, the word that is used and translated sharing there in verse 6 is the same word that we translate fellowship. So let me read, read that again and, and substitute the word and, and see if it makes things even more muddy. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. How does that help? Well, now you're more confused? Like I, okay, yeah. So um, the word that's translated is fellowship. So here's the question. Is Paul praying for Philemon to share his faith with others? which leads to an effective realization of what's good in our lives from Christ? Or is Paul praying for him to enjoy the fellowship that we have with others who have the same faith? I'm not sure if I completely am sure. Or maybe even Paul was being ambiguous and, and he was implying that, that all those things are true. But the point is, commentators have, have spilt a lot of ink to work their heads around this verse uh, my opinion is that, once again, F.F. F. Bruce has probably captured the heart of this passage better than most others. And, and he states that this fellowship probably was referring to the way that Philemon shared his resources with others and the way that he lived out his faith in Jesus Christ. 
And, and so the, the fellowship, the relationships, the, the way that he lived out that relationship to other Christians it was referring to the um, way that he, he shared his resources, he lived out his faith, he shared life in a spirit, and, and, and F.F. Bruce, F. F. Bruce says this, he says he shared his life in a spirit of liberality which sprung from his faith in Christ. And so Paul's prayer is a prayer that Philemon would experience the truth of this principle in his life. We oftentimes say what you reap is what you, excuse me, what you sow is what you reap. And Paul's prayer is, I, I pray that everything that you sow, that, that you will reap the benefits of that and, and that you will see everything that Christ has done for you. Not just the financial rewards of, of the, the contribution you've made to your church, Philemon, but my prayer is that, that you would realize the full benefits that you have in Christ because of the way that you've lived out this fellowship you have with others of common faith. And so Paul's prayer is that he would experience the truth of this principle in his life. Philemon sowed bountifully, and so Paul prays for him to fully understand all the good that we have in Christ. And verse 7 seems to support this because he goes on to express how other Christians, including himself, have benefited from Philemon's generosity. He says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I always love it when the writers of the New Testament use this word. We, we hear the word heart, right? My, the, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. It, it's, a, again, a good translation that conveys the nuance of the emotion we feel when we're encouraged by one another. But in the first century, uh, it was not the heart that was the center of the emotions. The, the heart wasn't where you felt stuff. It was the intestines. Have you ever felt strong emotions before? You ever meet your first love and have all those butterflies? Where do you feel it? Your stomach jumps, doesn't it? You know, if, if there's one place in the human body that literally reacts to emotions, um, it's the gut. And so that, that's how they saw that in their culture. And so they would refer to it that way. And so a very literal translation of, of this text says, because the entrails of the saints have been refreshed through you. That just doesn't sound the same, does it? Um, the bowels. Would that be better? In English, that kind of comes across differently. In, in our world, the heart. The heart's where you feel it. The heart is where you feel affection. And, and so it's a good translation uh, because it conveys our, to our culture what Paul's saying behind the word there from their culture. But do you get the idea? This was a generous man who, who brought great encouragement to very many people. And, and when Paul thought about the Colossian church, and when he thought about the ministry of Philemon, it, it, seems, that it, it seems that it brought a smile to his face on more than one occasion. Paul had personally experienced much joy and comfort from the love of that was lived out in this man's life. And so Paul gives God thanks for all this. And I, and I want you to understand that not only does Paul genuinely pray for him and give thanks for him, but Paul genuinely compliments Philemon for who he is. And he genuinely reaches out to his friend. And, and when we have 
confrontation, when we have requests that we have to ask of one another, we, we need that kind of genuine life lived out between us. We need to know the difference between when I can come to somebody and when it's not my place to say something. And when I just need to pray about the right time to say something. You and I can point to times when we've disagreed with somebody. We can point to times when we have something important that we need to request and ask them to do. And you and I can also point to times when we just came out and we bulldozed through that other person's life. We thought we had the right to say whatever we wanted, and so we did it in whatever manner we felt we, we wanted to do it. We share advice. We tell people what they should do. We correct them. We tell them how we would do their ministry differently. We rebuke them. And we often forget that we too are sinners saved by God's grace. And we often forget who we were before Christ changed us by the shedding of his blood. And, and so there, I, I want us to understand there's a time and a season for a variety of different approaches, right? This, this pattern that's set forth in Philemon doesn't mean that there's never a time for confrontation. There's never a time for being blunt because there is. In fact, there, there's a time and a season for boldness and blunt confrontation. Jesus certainly did it at times, right? Jesus was never the person that overturned tables in the temple. Have you ever read that story? Yeah, there, there were times where Jesus was really rude. Rightfully so. And people were going, oh, how could he do that? There were times when Paul confronted the false teachers of his day. But so often, there's also much room for us to speak less and to listen more. There's much room for tact and genuine praise. There's great need for each one of us to, be, to better understand people and how they respond both to individuals who are genuine and to individuals who have not earned the right to speak. So here's my encouragement for us before we read the entire letter together today. Let us be people who genuinely partner with our brothers and sisters in the faith. Let us know one another and share life together like we see this community doing in Philemon. And, and let us do it with humility and grace. Let us be people who genuinely pray for one another. Let us be people who demonstrate tact and gentleness, who speak appropriate words at the right time, and let us establish the kind of relationship with others that gives us the right to say the hard things when they're called for. I just realized we're, we're a bit over time, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to cut Sunday school short today. We'll give you a little time for fellowship, but... Um, the Lord says that he blesses us when we read his word and when we hear his word and when we listen to his word. And so for our scripture reading today, I'd like to close our service um, by reading the whole book of Philemon in this, just this next couple minutes. So please stand with me. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. 
And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my, my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this purpose is why, for, for this is perhaps why he was parted for, from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you, and the Lord refreshed my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As the praise team comes and leads us in one verse of our last song, um, please pray with me. Father, we, we do come before you and we thank you for this, this book, for what we learn here. I, I pray that we would, be, we would learn to be people who are genuine in our relationships. But teach us as we read Philemon, to be people who genuinely pray for each other, people who show genuine humility and grace, that we don't just do things for the sake of smoothing things over or flattering somebody or pretending to be something we're not, but that we would be genuine about these things and that we would be genuine in our love for one another, that we would genuinely know one another and interact in the lives of other people, that we would show tact, that we would show grace, that we, would show no, that we would know when to demonstrate and give genuine compliments and when to speak hard words. So please help us to understand these things from this pattern that we see here and be with us today as we go out from here. Amen. Amen.